Let's pray. God, with every fiber of our being, we affirm that that is true, that you are good, good, the good and beautiful God. And we acknowledge that we need you. We always need you. In this time, during this season, during this ongoing crisis, I think we're all just a little bit more conscious of how much we need you. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a a loving God. We thank you for being the God of hope, the God of peace, the holy God. We thank you for being the friend of sinners. Thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your family, the body of Christ the family of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bethany family, for every person who is uh, gathered right now together in spirit, if not all of us uh, together in body, we're together in spirit. We're one family. Those of you who have joined us today, you're part of the Bethany family. God, we thank you. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to encourage us. We ask you to teach us We ask you to protect us. We ask you to lead us and guide us. We believe that you are never going to let us down. You have delivered us in the past from deadly peril. Your word tells us that you will deliver us. And on you we have placed our hope that you will continue to deliver us. We pray all this in confidence, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen. Good morning, Bethany family. It's wonderful to see you. It's a wonderful thing this morning to hear as I was grabbing some breakfast from the other room, a family focus, a Sunday school class, a meeting together, and connecting, sharing prayer requests. Thank you, Bruce and Chris, for doing a wonderful job shepherding our beautiful people, and it's wonderful to have a place to connect and to share and to uh, be together uh, one way or the other. We're going to make that possible. We're going to make that happen. I want to continue on in our story uh, that we were studying last week of what took place after the resurrection of Jesus, how Jesus began uh, immediately, in fact, that very day, changing lives, changing uh, reality for his followers. And we picked up the story in Luke 24 with two of his followers who were on a journey away from family away from the community on a road to a little town called Emmaus from Jerusalem. We'll pick up the story uh, kind of at the end of where we ended last week, that as these two men who were joined by, it says, by Jesus himself, as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening The night is almost over, and so he went in to stay with them. When he was in the table, at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts 
burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And the next verse tells us why he needed to say that. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And while he said that, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And last week, just to kind of walk through very quickly, if you have your outlines there, we, we talked about what's happened to us in our own time and how it echoes what has happened to other people throughout the course of human history. And in this moment, it's Easter Sunday, but these two followers of Jesus don't know it. What happened to us is that, number one, sometimes our hearts get broken. It talks about these two men walking, and verse 17 told us that they just stood there with their faces downcast. They told the, to them just complete tragic story, how our leaders had crucified him, verse 20. They said, well, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem us. They'd, they'd hoped and they'd hoped and they'd hoped, and in a sense, they've really given up hope. They've really stopped even praying for what they hoped because they didn't think it could happen. And then number two, sometimes things get worse, and that's true in our own lives as well. Uh, they said, what's more, it's the third day since all this took place, and now, in other words, it's beginning to be reality. It's now the new normal. Now we're wondering when things are going to go back to normal, if they'll ever go back to normal. Some of our women went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They're hopeless. They've given up. They don't know how they can continue. Number three, sometimes we can't see the one person that we need. Sometimes we can't see the one person that we need. They said some of our companions went to the women to see what the women had uh, testified of, but, but him, the one we most need to see, him they did not see. 
And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They can't see him, even though he's there. Last week we saw four things that we need in response that come to us from this uh, extraordinary story. Number one, we need to understand and believe God's word. Jesus told them they were foolish and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Often in our own time, we're not that much different. We're foolish, and we're very slow to believe what God has said is reality. We live our lives according to our own narratives. We, we live our lives sometimes according to the narratives of our culture. We need to understand and believe God's word. Number two, we need Jesus to open the scriptures to us. Something happens when we begin to read God's word. I was encouraged this morning, listen to uh, Bruce share some thoughts and teaching with the, the family focus troop and stress the importance of being in God's word during this season and asking God to, to speak to us through his word. We need Jesus to open the scriptures to us. He said, did not the Messiah, God's anointed one, this pattern of suffering, first of all, suffering, and then entering his glory, that, that sequence is there if we have eyes to see in the Hebrew scriptures. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And in response to his teaching, these two followers of Jesus said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? Number three, we need Jesus to spend time with us. The text we read this morning said they urged him strong. He made like he was going to go on, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. I love the fact that Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't presume to just kind of force his way into their lives, into relationship with them. He makes himself available. He wants to be our companion. He wants to spell time with us. And then I love the fact that when he's at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. William Barclay says that this isn't just a reminder of communion, of the last supper that he had taken part of with his disciples in the upper room just days before. Barclay says this was an ordinary meal in an ordinary house when an ordinary loaf was being divided that these men recognized Jesus. It is not only at the communion table that we can be with Christ. We can be with him at the dinner table too. He is not only the host in his church, he is the guest in every home. I pray right now, living God, would you make yourself at home in the life, in the circumstance, in the very place where each individual is watching right now on Facebook Live, on YouTube Live, would you make yourself at home, right there in their home? Would you teach right in their home? Would you touch right there in their home? Would you heal right there in their home? Would you share ordinary life and ordinary meals with your people, Lord Jesus, because we believe it's what you love to do. It's one of the first things you did after you were raised from death to life. Thank you, Jesus.
We need Jesus to spend time with us. And number four, we need Jesus to open our eyes because it was then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He was recognized by them, verse 35 tells us, when he broke the bread and they shared that news with others. William Barclay again says this. There are those who regard Jesus simply as a man whose life must be studied, his words examined, his teaching analyzed. There's a tendency to think of Christianity and Christ merely in terms of something to be studied. The tendency may be seen in the quite simple fact of the extension of the study group and the extinction, he says, of the prayer meeting. Beyond doubt, study is necessary. Boy, he's speaking to me. I love study. I love reading about Jesus and learning more about him. But Jesus is not only someone to be studied, he is someone to be met. Let me say it again. Jesus is not just somebody to be studied. He is someone to be met and lived with every day. He is not only a figure in a book, even if that book is the greatest in the world, he is a living presence. A living presence to teach us to live. Well, today we go on. What do we need, part two? Number five. Number five. Well, we we need Jesus to reconnect us into community. We need Jesus to reconnect us into community. The text, as we begin, says that they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. They had finished a a five-mile journey, quite a sojourn, talking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, connecting with Jesus. But immediately when they realized Jesus is alive, they got up, they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. They had left community because the, the narrative of the community was over. Their leader was gone. What's the point of continuing community? But when they realized that Jesus is alive, the first thing they wanted was to reconnect with community. You know, when we've encountered the risen Jesus, we can't wait to share the good news with others. He's alive, he is alive. Something happens in community that's very, very special to us. We need Jesus to reconnect us into community. I love Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. It describes God as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's who God is in his holy dwelling. And then it says this, as I absolutely love God, sets the lonely in families. God loves to connect those who are isolated into families. I've understood uh, loneliness. I've understood uh, isolation in my life. I can think of times where because of uh, a move or two in an important uh, season of my life when I was just uh, entering high school, we moved from Salinas, California to Phoenix, Arizona moved from a place of greenery and growth, the lettuce capital of the world as far as that goes, to Phoenix, the growth capital of what? Cactus? Sand? I'm not sure. Not a big fan of Phoenix, but that was part of the what was going on in my life during that time. I, I lost everybody that I'd grown up with. 
I lost uh, just the connections that I had had since birth, whether it was in our, our church family and the, the variety of age groups that had invested in my life or just my friends. And I felt kind of cut off. I felt kind of alone. My roots, as I look back, my roots were severed. Moved in after four years in high school, moved back to California to a, a new town where it was harder to connect, uh, harder to make connections. Then I moved from there to Southern California where I'd never lived, to college. And there's a number of years of just feeling alone, feeling some isolation. I had some friends, but I'd lost a lot of the friends I'd grown up with. I'd, I'd had the, the roots severed that I had built over the first 14 to 15 years of my life. And then I've encountered, uh, during the rest of my life, God taking me and God putting me into a family. Literally putting me into a family, a church family called Bethany Church. Many years ago where people made room for me for a kind of a young, sarcastic, sometimes harsh, sometimes negative uh, young man who was fairly opinionated, well, very opinionated. And some of that hasn't changed entirely. But what has changed is that I'm now that person, but I'm in family. And being in family has changed me. And I give that credit to God for his goodness. I give that credit to God's people for their kindness, for making me feel at home. We need Jesus to reconnect us into community. And sometimes the, the thing that causes us to step into isolation is something that happens to us that we don't have any control over. I don't have any control over the fact that my dad decided that it was time to move from a church in Salinas where we'd, I'd grown up and to a church in Phoenix. I didn't have control of that. And you and I didn't have any control of the fact that we live in a world that is being hammered by the coronavirus. Getting close to three million people who have contracted the virus. 200,000 who have died worldwide, over 50,000 in the United States. And sometimes uh, something happens to us and because we're wounded, because we're hurt, because we're frightened, we begin to kind of hole up. We pull away from people. We, we push people away. We disconnect. And that's what these two had done. They had left the community to kind of just go back to apparently where they had come from, back to isolation. But then they met Jesus. And Jesus connects the lonely and family. And immediately when they realize he's alive, our cause isn't over. Our family isn't shattered. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. But beyond that, something happens when we return and reconnect to family. Number six, write down that you and I need Jesus to meet us in community. We need Jesus to meet us in community. Because he goes back and connects with them and they share the good news uh, on both sides. The good news of what had taken place in the community in their absence and how uh, it's true they had said the, the Lord is risen, has appeared to Simon. And then these two shared what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So they, they both, the two and the, and the 12 and those with them, shared what had happened, that Jesus was alive. He was available. He was accessible again. And then verse 36, while they were still talking about this, and I love the way Luke kind of specifies this, Jesus 
kind of an idea of Jesus? No. The spirit of Jesus, the ghost of Jesus? No. Jesus himself, he says now for a second time. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, May peace be with you. You need peace. Are you kidding? We need peace? Our, our leader was arrested. Our leader was tried four different times in the course of a single night. Every time the leader would pronounce him innocent. I, I find him innocent. He's not guilty of any crime. And yet at the end, he is sentenced to be executed like a common criminal on the cross of Calvary by the vicious hand of Rome. And now Jesus himself is there saying, peace be with you. They, they had lost their leader. Then he had died. That's pretty final. Then he was buried in the tomb. That's another layer of finality. Reality begins to become a little too real. Poet C.S. Lewis, excuse me, T.S. Eliot once said, uh, humankind cannot bear very much reality. I find that true in my life. How about you? Humankind cannot bear very much reality. It, it, he's dead. He's buried. And then Sunday morning, his body's gone. What a horror for someone who has lost someone precious to them. The women go, they don't find anybody there. The, the followers, they follow up the, the kind of the wild story they heard from the women. Him they did not see, Luke says. But now Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. You see, Jesus himself meets us in community. Jesus has designed life that well, starting in the book of Genesis, right from the very beginning. He looked at single, solitary Adam, the man, and says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And it's not good for a woman to be alone. And it's not good for children to be alone. And it's not good for senior adults to be alone. God designed us to live in community, to flourish in community. And Jesus himself meets us in community. Oh, he had met the two on the road and then he had gone. But then they got to experience his presence again when they returned into community. Why is this? Well, in Matthew 18, you know the account. In Tom Wright's uh, translation, the New Testament for everyone, he says that, yes, Jesus is speaking, yes, where two or three come together in my name, Jesus says. I'll be there in the midst of them. That's why for some of us, Today is so important because it's a day that we gather as a church family. Now we're gathering in separate places, but we can kind of see each other. We can kind of, to a degree, talk to one another. We've got a chat function that's, uh, that's in use right now. It was great to share to show me before I came up and uh, got greetings from so many different people uh, who are online and watching. So blessings on you uh, who are there. Let us know that you're there. Put a comment down on Facebook Live or add a comment to uh, YouTube Live. Let us know that you're there. Send in a prayer request to Info at Bethany Online. I'm going to give you another way to connect with us in just a moment as well. But Jesus himself meets us in community. Something happens when we worship together. Can you worship by yourself? Absolutely. Can you worship if you're completely isolated? Maybe you've contracted the coronavirus and you have to be quarantined for a season. Maybe you've been exposed and need to be quarantined. Can Jesus meet us there? Absolutely he can. We're never alone. Jesus himself experienced this. He told his followers, every single one of you will abandon me. 
every single one of you will abandon me, and I'll be left alone. But he catches himself. This is in the Gospel of John. He catches himself and says, but I'm not alone because my Father is with me. So even when we feel alone and physically might be alone, we're not alone. Jesus is with us. But something happens when we gather together in community. Something changes. That's why it's a privilege when people share prayer requests. We've got a group that prays twice a week. Send in those prayer requests. Our staff prays. I prayed this week. We're praying for Roberta, for what's going on. We're praying for your son. We're praying for uh, Anita. We're praying for Sherry. We're praying for uh, Bob, for your brother. Good to hear that Roger was up and about. We've got a lot of things that we're praying for as a family. And when we pray together, Jesus himself comes. And Jesus himself makes himself known to us. Jesus meets us in community. But then also Jesus pours out his gifts in community. When they gather, he said, peace be with you. He breathes on them, John's gospel says, and grants them his peace. He says, peace. Not like the world gives. Not that's accessible anywhere in our culture, but peace I give to you. He pours out his gifts in community. And then also he reveals himself in community. Look what he says. If you look at uh, verse 37 and following, he says, peace be with you. They're startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, not a ghost. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And he invites them to use their common sense and their common senses. He says, look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Jesus himself said, it's I myself. It's really me. Don't just look, touch. Touch me and see a, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Thomas, who wasn't there, Mr. Doubt, who wasn't there at that moment from the other Gospels, we know that Thomas later, when he encountered Jesus, said, I, I'm not going to believe. I, I, you, you're telling me he's alive. I'm not going to believe until I touch his hands. I put my hands in those nail prints in his hands, in his feet, in his side. Uh, it has to be real to me. In the letter of First John to his young friends, John said, this is the word of God that our eyes have seen, that our hands have handled. All our senses are engaged. When he, had, um, uh, when he had said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, he, he engaged in, in the senses of, of taste and of smell. Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Why do I say smell? Well, because I don't think you can broil fish without a certain smell, right? Uh, and... Uh, he took it and he ate it in their presence. All the senses are engaged. These are eyewitnesses. They, these are, if you will, also hand witnesses and ear witnesses and nose witnesses. It's really Jesus. He's really here. He's alive. And alive forevermore. He reveals himself to, to them that his body, which is now recognizable, even though initially when the two on the road to Emmaus had encountered him, they didn't recognize him, even though he was there. His body in some way is uniquely different, but in m many ways it's recognizable, it's identifiable, it's truly him. I think it's telling that he still has the, the scars 
of what he's gone through. Just like you and I, when we've gone through difficult time, we bear the scars. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're, they're spiritual. Sometimes mental. We bear the scars, and Jesus bore the scars. And as he reveals himself, they get to know a little bit more about him. And over time, they'll realize that you and I are privileged to share with Jesus something unique. Paul talks about the fact that I want to know him, and I want to know him more deeply, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I can really identify with that. I can really resonate with that. And then Paul says something that I'm not sure I always resonate with. He says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Then he says, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. The companionship of his suffering. We know what fellowship is. We, most churches have a fellowship hall where people go and they eat often potlucks and they just connect with each other. Well, fellowship is where we connect with someone. Paul said, I want to know the companionship and the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. And when you and I suffer, it's not in isolation. Jesus is with us. When you and I suffer, we're not alone. We've got a community who cares, who prays, who lifts us up, who walks with us to support us, to encourage us, to pray for us. But not only that, Jesus is there. And when we suffer, we experience something where we can come to know Jesus better, more clearly, because we've suffered than we would do otherwise in isolation, complete isolation. Jesus reveals himself in community, and we get to know him more deeply as we gather together, as we encourage each other, as we're honest with each other, which leads us to the final kind of principle there under point six, which is this, our hearts. Our hearts are revealed in community as well. Jesus reveals himself in community, but our hearts are revealed as well. What do I mean by this? Look at the language. It's there on your screen too. It says in verse 37, 38, that when Jesus greets them and says, peace be unto you, they don't respond with, and with your spirit. They don't respond with, with a peaceful moment. The one that they were in excruciating pain because of his death, because of his burial, because of the loss of his body, shows up and they're ecstatic. He's alive. But then he shows up, Jesus himself, and they're terrified. Why? Because he was dead last time most of them had seen him. And now he's alive. And even in the first century, they knew that dead people don't rise back to life. And they're terrified. They're startled. They're frightened. You remember, two of them had already seen Jesus. It also reveals in the text that Peter had also uh, had that encounter with Jesus that's described in other Gospels as well. But they're startled. Jesus, how can you be here? And they're frightened. Why? Because they thought they saw a ghost. Isn't that interesting? You'd think they'd kind of just get it. One of the things that speaks to the honesty and therefore the veracity of the gospel writers is the fact that they left in a lot of rather negative stories about their own character that you'd think they'd kind of try to massage and paint over that. There's a story of Winston Churchill many years ago that he was sitting for a painting at one time and the artists began to do what artists do, which is kind of paint over, you know, airbrush, if you will, over some of the 
some of the blemishes. And uh, Churchill stopped and said, no, if you're going to paint me, paint me warts and all. <laughs> paint me like I really am. And the gospel shows us these men and these women, these followers of Jesus, very, very, very human. Finite. Frail. Imperfect. They're starting, startled. They're frightened. They think they saw a ghost. Jesus asked them, why are you troubled? This is what you wanted. I'm, I'm alive. But why are you troubled? And look at this. Why did doubts rise in your minds? It's Jesus. He's alive. He can't be. This is what's happening. I don't know what's going on. They're of uh, mixed emotions, right? They're of a double mind, as James will later, later say, the stepbrother of Jesus. Double-minded, unstable in all your ways. You guys, doubts are rising in your mind. We believe, and yet we doubt. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Or an accurate picture, maybe I should say, of how we approach life and trust in our God. We believe. It's like the father whose son was miraculously in the process of being healed, set free from an evil spirit by Jesus. The father said, oh, oh, I believe. I'm trying to believe. Help me with my unbelief. Help me believe more because I'm kind of right here. Our hearts are revealed in community. And, and he continued and, and showed them his hands and his feet. And then verse 41 says that they still did not believe it. They've seen him. They've touched him. They've, they've seen the scars. They see the wounds. They smell the fish being prepared. They watch him eat it in their presence. They still did not believe it. In this case, now the tide may be turning a little bit. Instead of startled and frightened, now they have joy and amazement. They're dazed and confused in a sense, right? Aren't they just like us? We need Jesus to meet us in community because something happens when we're in community and Jesus is present that changes us. Some of you know this, but in some cases we don't know what's going on with you. That's one of the hardest things for me is to have this distance, this physical distance uh, from so many people. And I can read the prayer sheet, but if you're not on the prayer sheet, I may not know what's going on in your life. We would love to know what's going on in your life. So Pastor Brennan and I asked uh, one of the members of Bethany, Dr. Curtis Lehman, uh, professor of uh, psychology at Assistant Pacific University, to put together for us a survey so we can reach out to our people and just say, kind of let us know in a concrete way what's going on in your life. What are you feeling? What are your highs? What are your lows? How is God connecting with you during this season? Are you doing okay? Do you have enough food? Do you have enough supplies? How are you doing mentally, spiritually, emotionally? It's a wonderful thing. He put it together and he's made it available to us. And so on your screen right now, you're going to see uh, a URL that you can type into your internet browser. It is short URL, S-H-O-R-T-U-R-L dot A-T slash H-L-Z capital C-H. You'll never remember that, but it's right there on your screen. And more importantly, it's there in the notes. It's uh, there on the, uh, our websites, FaceTime and YouTube. It's accessible to you. We want you to go. It's a short survey. It'll take, what would you say, Pastor Brandon? Uh, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes at the probably the very most for you to fill out. Just very simple. We just want to know, how are you doing? We want to know, is there any way that we can serve you? Any way we can help you as your church family? We want to know, how can we pray for you? We want to know, is there any ways that you would like to use your gifts. This is one of uh, Dr. Lehman's spiritual gifts. 
and skills. And he has offered this to the Bethany family. I'm very excited about it. And uh, I think you'll be encouraged just by kind of sharing some of your story. We want to hear your story because Jesus came up, and it's not so interesting when Jesus showed up, and they said, don't, you don't know what's going on in Jerusalem. I think it was you or I in the situation. We'd go, do I know what's going on in Jerusalem? Well, I just got crucified, and then God raised me from the dead and just be off talking and sharing and expanding on that. And he says, what things? He, he wants to hear their story. Listen to this. The Lord Jesus wants to hear your story. That's the story of the Emmaus experience. He wants to hear your story. He wants you to tell him your needs, your fears, your anxieties, your, your dreams, your hopes. What's your narrative? What's going on in your life? Would you share that with us? So we can know how to pray, how to reach out, how to maybe connect people. We're talking about maybe ways that we can connect if somebody feels very isolated, uh, that we can connect them with another a member of Bethany to, to be able to phone each other, to be able to just share a request, a, kind of a, a, a live person to encounter. Please let us know. Share your story with us. Enough said on that. Number seven, finally, we need Jesus to reconnect us into community, to meet us in community and we need Jesus number seven to open our minds so we can understand the scriptures let me ask you this I've been a pastor for a long time I grew up in a uh, the home of a pastor so I've been in church since about the first week of my life heard a lot about God's word there's a lot of God's word I still do not understand and it's been you know 20 or 30 years since I've been a young man what are you laughing about, Ray? Ray's here and he's laughing. I don't know what's so funny about that. 40 years, maybe, since I've been a young man? Would you accept that? Yeah, yeah. I still have times when I open God's Word and I'm baffled or I'm confused or, or maybe I understand it, but my spirit is reluctant to, to do what it says. Or, or sometimes I see it and I just don't know, how does this, how does this impact my life? Why, why am I... Re what is God trying to speak to me right now? We need Jesus to open our minds so we can understand the scriptures. That's what he does in verse 43. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's being written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He sort of, sort of sums up the three sections of the Hebrew scriptures. The Torah, the five books of Moses, the the prophets and then the Psalms which represents all of the writings he said these are about me and he opened their minds so they could understand he, he, he told them this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and then repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem this good news isn't just for you it's for the world and the good news that you've received is to be passed on to other people because you are witnesses of these things. You've lived through this. You've seen it. You know what happened to me. You know I was crucified, dead, buried. My body was missing, and now I'm alive. And you can share this news with others because you are eyewitnesses of this reality. Hundreds and hundreds of people, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, saw Jesus after his resurrection. We need Jesus to open our minds for us. Do you, do you see what has happened in this passage? There are three incredible openings that have taken place. 
And with this, we're going to close. I'm going to have our worship team come up to lead us in a closing song. There are three great openings that need to happen in our lives. In verse 31, we read that Jesus opened their eyes so they could recognize him. Jesus opened their eyes so they could recognize him. He was there, even though mainly they felt his absence. But he was walking with these two on the road to Emmaus, even though they couldn't recognize him. Then he showed up and people panicked, even though it's his closest followers. They didn't know quite what to do with the reality that Jesus was alive. He opened their eyes so they could recognize him. Then he opened the scriptures to them. He opened the scriptures to them. That's what we need to do when, when life gets confusing, when life gets hard, when troubles come. Open the scriptures. Ask Jesus to open the, 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 the scriptures. And then the third thing that needs to happen is the scriptures can be opened, but our minds can be dull. Our spirit can be a, a little clueless. We can have kind of a spiritual brain freeze, but we need Jesus to open our minds to understand the scriptures. Uh, there's more in the story, so that's why we're going to take our time. We're going to read more about it next week, which is the, the next step, the next level that takes place when Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior, begins to show up in our lives. It changes everything about us. He reconnects us with community. He makes himself known in community. And he opens our minds so we can understand the scriptures. Living God, we need you to open our minds. I need you to open my minds on a regular basis. And I pray for every friend who is watching right now, God, that you would visit them right where they are. You would again fill their home, their room, their bedroom, kitchen, dining room, wherever they are, backyard. Fill that place with your presence. I pray you would reconnect them in the community. If any of them have been trying to do this on their own, help them to reach out so we can connect them if they aren't connected. God, I pray that you would then meet them in community, that this week they would be able to, to have a, a sense that they are not alone. It's one thing to know you're not alone. It's another thing to feel that you're not alone. We, we want that to happen for people. We ask people to, to reach out. We pray that they will do that survey and reach out, communicate to us their needs, how they're doing. We want to do this for our community as well, reach out to them. But then most of all, God, we want to ask you to open our minds. Would you do that? Right now, God, there's a lot of confusion in our lives, a lot of lack of clarity. Would you open our minds so we can understand the scriptures? God, I pray that during this awkward season when we're socially distant, and really we don't want to be socially distant. We're, we, we have to be physically distant, but we want to be socially connected, emotionally connected, spiritually connected. But God, during this season, would you help us to grow spiritually? Would you help us to grow even in community? Teach us how to go about this, God. This is a new thing for us, a new season. But it's not a new season for the, the followers of Jesus uh, throughout the course of human history. It's happened before. God, would you help us? Would you meet with us? Would you connect us? Would you reveal yourself in community 
would you help us to reveal ourselves in community? We want to be known. That's what happens in community. It's a place where we can know and be known, where we can serve and be served, where we can love and be loved, where we can celebrate and be celebrated. God, we ask this all in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's children said, all God's children said, all right, there you go. You're back with us.